Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. I know this is going to be a little rhetorical when I say this, but here's the deal. Life isn't perfect. Things are going to come up. You're going to have to navigate through things. We all don't love change. Most of us don't. And there, there's the challenge when what we call a setback appears. How are you going to deal with that? Are you going to let it rule your life? Are you going to let it change your life? Well, you don't need to. And there's all different types of setbacks. And she's going to help us work with that today. She's an amazing coach. Dr. Joe Baldwin joins us on the program. Welcome back. How are you? I'm great, Steve. Thank you. Yes. How are you? I'm well. And this is something that we all struggle with um, maybe multiple times a day, multiple times in our life, whatever it may be. Um, why did you want to talk about setbacks today? Well, as you say, we all face setbacks, you know, from time to time, day to day. It could be in our personal life or at work, in business. But sometimes when you're in the midst of that setback, it can be really hard to see the way out, know how to deal with it, and how to spot the silver lining or see what lessons there are to be learned from it. And sometimes we sort of stay stuck in that place where we are feeling all the disappointment and we rehash the story and we complain about what should have been maybe. And we sort of stay stuck in that role of victim. And if we're not careful, we can let a setback define us and sort of write our story for us instead of moving forwards to whatever's meant for us. So I like to remind my clients that there's always a choice to how we approach setbacks. Mm. And if you can reframe it as a learning opportunity, then it can help you develop some resilience and coping strategies for the future, for the next time you're facing something. I have to believe anybody watching or listening right now is probably framing in their mind the setbacks that they've dealt with, how they dealt with them. Maybe they're challenged with one right now. What I'm, I have some. How am I going to, how am I going to navigate through that? What are we going to do there? Uh, I got to believe also that you've, you've been through some, and I think everybody has a story. What's your story, Joe? Yeah. I mean, obviously lots and lots of setbacks over the years, but there was one sort of personal story that, that made me think about this. And it's just over a year ago when I had a, a surgery for a knee injury and it was a, it was a planned operation and I knew in advance what was going to be happening post-operatively. I was going to have to wear a, a, a knee brace for six weeks to keep the leg completely straight. Hmm. Um, now, because I'm a doctor originally, I knew what was going to be involved with the surgery. I knew what was going to be happening, you know, with the recovery period. But for some reason, I made light of the impact that this was going to have on me and my work. There seems to be this tendency amongst healthcare workers. We seem to think we're sort of superhuman in some way and that we're not going to be affected by things in the same way as our patients. Um, so thanks to this apparent belief in my superhuman powers, I made no adjustments to my upcoming schedule for the weeks after the surgery. And I thought I'd still be able to fulfill all of my planned coaching and training commitments. Hmm. And then I found out that I was really quite wrong. <laughs> um, I found myself totally exhausted. I didn't sleep well because of the knee brace. Getting around wasn't easy. Uh, I was in pain for the first few days. There were lots of little day-to-day -day things that I couldn't really manage. And I just found myself really quite exhausted. And here's where the setback happened. It wasn't the surgery that was the setback. It was the fact that I then 
found myself having to decide to postpone a big workshop that I had planned. And in my mind, it felt like I was going to be letting down all of the clients that had booked a place on that workshop. And that just goes against my values. You know, I wouldn't ever fail to live up to a promise ordinarily. I always go out of my way to uh, to make sure I deliver on, on promises and commitments. So it felt like a really big deal at the time. Mm. And you knew that there's no way you could have motored on with that surgery. Ordinarily, if it hadn't have been due to some other factors, I think I probably would have done. But it was a culmination, really. It was a tipping point. It had been a bit of a tough year or so. And I realized that I'd been putting a brave face on. I'd kept on pushing through. I hadn't been addressing my own needs. And then the surgery on top of this, as I say, was just a bit of a tipping point. Um, I'd been running my own business alongside another, another big voluntary commitment. And that had been quite demanding for a couple of years. My husband had also been ill and he had needed surgery the year before. My father had died five months previously. Mm. And when all of these things happened, I was still keeping on, keeping on. I was, you know, fulfilling commitments, planning these workshops. And, and despite knowing that the workshop was only going to be three weeks post-operatively, um, who was I kidding that I was going to be up for this, full of energy, fighting fit? Actually, I, I realized I was running on empty. Um, the past year or so had caught up with me. Now, that scenario isn't unusual. And I know there'll be a lot of people listening who have faced worse scenarios. We're all juggling lots and lots of commitments, you know, sure. day to day. And as I say, I think just for me at that point in time, the combination, the timing, that just sort of was, was the, uh, the the sort of storm, really. And, and I can't help thinking that perhaps I should have known better uh, because, you know, I coach clients all the time around dealing with overwhelm and, and not allowing themselves to become overcommitted. Yeah, I give you a lot of credit for being superwoman to say, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. It, maybe not realistic. And you don't know until you know, but you realize that, you know, early on. And I guess, you know, side note here, it can be a blessing or a curse if you're in the medical field and faced with a medical situation. I know somebody whose husband's a, a nurse. Um, and he is like afraid of germs, especially with COVID. Uh, so it can go either way. But when you talk about being a, a superwoman in your work, um, what happened from that point on where you realize, wait a minute, I, I can't do it all? Yeah, it's it's a concept that I talk about a lot in my work, this, this superwoman mode, whereby, you know, we are often over-sacrificing, we're depleting our energy to the extent that many women are finding themselves overwhelmed, exhausted, approaching burnout. Um, and it's becoming you know, too common a scenario really. And this belief that we have to be some sort of superwoman, I think is at the root cause of it. Mm. So we're all aware of that woman who you know, seems to be able to do it all. She holds down the high flying job. She cares for the family. She fits a session in at the gym in the mornings. Um, she still enjoys a, you know, a busy social life. She manages to be all things to all people. And she's juggling all the balls and, and spinning all the plates till one day she just isn't anymore. And I coach around a, a more sustainable way of, of operating, whereby 
we're still just as effective and impactful, but we're not reaching that state of overwhelm and, and burnout. And this is called soft power. Now, mm. I knew all about this. I'd learned how to use soft power, um, but I realized that I'd let that slip over the past year. And I certainly was back to wearing the superwoman cape. Um, so that's where I recognized that I needed to be quite self-compassionate. I had to coach myself through this. Um, I realized I wasn't going to be able to offer the quality of training that I wanted to do, uh, and certainly not the quality that the delegates deserved. So instead of pushing on and hoping for the best, I followed my own advice and I said, no, this, hmm. you know, needs to be, need, need to make some change here. And it came from a place of self-preservation and, and self-compassion, really. Um, but it, it was a, you know, it's a case of it's the fairest thing to do. You know, clients deserve the, the level, you know, the best level of training I can provide, not not a half-hearted job. Um, and then, you know, it was a trust that once replenished, I'd be in a better place, better able to deliver the training at a later date. So... Hmm. I know the soft power tools work. I took the time to engage with them again and I was soon back on track. Do you think a lot of women assume the superpower or superwoman role because they're they're making up for something? It could be they don't feel that they're good enough and they have to put more effort into it. Can we look at that for a sec? Yeah. There's huge expectations, I think, on women these days that, you know, we have been given great opportunities over the last hundred years or so um, in, in education, academia, in the workplace. And we feel like we have to fulfill all those roles as well as be, you know, the, the, the best mum, the good wife uh, and do all the things. And we place huge expectations and, and huge high standards on ourselves. And we see the very best side of other people, don't we, on social media. We never see what's going on in the background for them. Mm -hmm. So there's this comparison going on. She's managing this. She's doing that. She's achieving this. Uh, and I think that can be really quite um, quite damaging. Um, so as I say, there's this this... I've got to be able to do this. I've got to be the best of me, put the best version of me out there. And, and I think that's where drawing on some sort of superwoman type powers is, is, is all we can think of doing to, uh, to, to make sure we achieve all those things. I don't know if this is the right approach, but I will share with you personally that prior to the journey that I'm on, which began about three years ago, any setback would set me back. It would be, oh, how am I going to deal with that? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Oh, Now I'm at the point where nothing surprises me. I mean, that's almost like my motto, where what I used to look as like a mountain now is just a, a speed bump. Got to get over the speed bump, get on the other side. I don't know if that's the, you know, minimizing that kind of stuff is the right thing to do, but that's how I'm getting through. <laughs> yeah. That's what's working. Yeah. I don't know. Is that, does that sound reasonable in general? That does sound reasonable. And it's, it's great that you've got to that place. Um, the way I approach setbacks now, or the way I would advise people to is thinking of yourself at a point at that moment of the setback where there are two paths to choose from. There are two ways you could deal with this. Mm. And that in itself to start with might feel difficult because 
often when there's a setback, we just feel that we're at a dead end of some sorts. But think about this, one path would mean you stay stuck in those feelings of disappointment, that things now feel spoilt, damaged goods, or it all just feels really hard. Mm. And you complain about what should have been, what should have happened, how good it ought to have been, and instead it's this. And you keep rehashing that story of what's what's gone wrong. And you become the victim in the story. You've made yourself the victim. Yeah. So you're allowing the impact of the setback to keep going on and on. If you took the other path, you dust yourself off and you try again. And maybe you'll learn some lessons from what's happened. Maybe you'll change tack and try a different approach. So in my case, that meant the postponement of the workshop. Um, once my energy levels were we're back to normal and, you know, I had a new approach, then off I went. Maybe down this path, you'll be able to notice the silver linings. You know, in my case, I recognised what a supportive network I had uh, and, mm. and how much backup I had and how easy it actually became for me, you know, to ask for help. And then you'll start to take steps forwards again. So you'll soon put some distance between you and the setback and the setback will be behind you. And then the big result of this is that you'll have developed some resilience. Mm. Now, having resilience doesn't mean you're some somehow now invincible or that you'll never face the setback again, but it means that you'll bounce back quicker next time. It'll feel easier to bounce back. It'll feel easier to deal with whatever has, you know, obstacle has come in your way uh, whenever that next setback comes along. Do you feel there's a lesson in everything? Oh, sure. But we're... We struggle to, to spot them sometimes, don't we? True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially with when in the throes of a setback where you're, you know, how am I going to deal with this? Well, some believe that it's happening for you and not to you. For a reason. Yeah. yeah for yeah. a reason. Whatever that reason might be, the universe, you know, can answer that eventually, hopefully. Um, but it's okay to ask for help when you need it. A lot of us don't, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I learned that... <laughs> having been somebody that didn't very easily ask for help. Mm. Uh, one of the things I learned from this was that actually it is okay to ask for help. Um, it, it, as I say, normally it feels really uncomfortable for me to ask for help. I feel like I'm the one that, that always volunteers and, and is always the helping hand. Um, but on this occasion, I found that, you know, friends and family were really amazing. Um, all sorts of, of examples, people turning up with dinner that, you know, the first night I was home from hospital and others suggesting that we, we change our plans for an overnight trip until I was feeling, you know, a bit more back, back to normal full fitness. Um, and then when I apologized to a friend because I'd asked for a lift somewhere, she said she was actually delighted that I'd chosen her. And I started to realize that hmm. people are more than happy to help. People are flattered to be asked. And actually, when we're asked to help someone, we get a feeling of reward. We feel fulfilled. We feel empowered because we're helping somebody else. So it's a win-win process, isn't it? I got the help I needed. And the other people, they were getting the positive buzz of, of knowing they'd done a good deed. So I've actually started to become more comfortable with reaching out and asking uh, asking for help these days. Isn't it one of the, the nicest things you can do to call upon somebody? Granted, you don't overdo it. You don't over request in terms of what you're asking for. 
But even if it's just some feedback, even if it's, you know, I need some help moving some boxes, whatever it is, or asking a friend or a colleague, uh, even a family member that has some expertise in something, what a, you know, what a great feeling that somebody asked. <laughs> they thought you were, you know, important enough in their life and, and they respected you enough to ask. Uh, and right, the world's not going to end just because you can't do something at that one moment, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're really conscientious like me, you start to realize that, you know, I, I used to think it was it was really important to fulfill on, you know, my commitments and my obligations. And I used to get really worried about, you know, what would people think of me if I couldn't deliver on on a promise or, yeah. or an obligation? But when I was forced because of the surgery to postpone this event, people really understanding and, and I wasn't judged you know, it was fine. Um, the world doesn't end if you postpone or you cancel something. And that was like a, a revelation to me. Um, and then the same applies to things on your to-do list. I used to think that once I'd committed to doing something, it had to be done and it had to be done by me. Nowadays, I start to take into account my energy levels and how easy it would be to do that thing. Um, and the actual importance of doing it in, you know, the overall bigger picture. So, you know, I look at things on the to-do list and I think, can I delegate it? Could I ditch it? Because, I, because actually it's not necessary mm. to ditch it altogether. Um, could I delay it till another time when it's it's more suitable? Or yes, do I need to get on and do it? So that's like a, a kind of a little process that I sometimes apply when it's getting to be quite overwhelming, the to-do list. So that's, uh, you know, that's a really nice process. Delay it, delegate it, ditch it, or do it. Give me that again, because I really want to imprint that in my mind. <laughs> yeah, right. Take your to-do list. Have a look at all those tasks. Could I delegate this to somebody else? Could I delay it to a time when it's more suitable? I'm in a better energy or a better frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Could I ditch it altogether? Because actually, in the big scheme of things, it's not that necessary. Or do I just have to jolly well get on and do it? Right. Okay. Uh, and if you think you're superwoman, you're probably not somebody that's going to delegate it. <laughs> no. That's it. Superwoman, she thinks she's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, interesting, you think of it, if you're somebody that doesn't delegate because you want to be superwoman, at some point, you're going to suffer a setback because things are going to pile up. There's going to be challenges. And, you know, could be big ones where you have stress and what does stress cause? Disease. So yeah. there could be challenges there. How about, um, Joe, any other advice for people faced with some type of uh, setback? My final one really is um, it's so important to think about maintaining and replenishing your energy levels. And it's one of the principles that I share with with my coaching clients that our first obligation before anything else is an obligation to ourselves and it's to replenish our energy. So we're no good either to ourselves or to anybody else unless we've got enough energy levels. Mm. And, you know, obviously there's the analogy that's always discussed, you know, put on your own oxygen mask first before helping anybody else. Sure. But we need to keep the energy levels topped up all the time rather than letting our tanks run so low and i think you know looking back that's that's what i'd done i'd i'd allow you know my energy tanks to run dry we can't heal unless we allow ourselves to rest and that relates to physical healing as in a you know post operative situation like like myself 
or perhaps it's healing from past trauma or, or grief. And um, it just won't happen if you keep on trying to push through and, and keep on going. So replenish your energies, keep it topped up all the time. It's so important. And we don't realize it until hopefully, but sometimes you don't even realize it until you get completely burned out. Um, I I experienced it yesterday. I was driving around, took a drive out east where I am, and just nice scenery and farms and everything. And I just I said to my girlfriend, I said, you know what? I just want to sit on a chair and do nothing. And I found a winery, and we there was nobody in the back, you know, hanging out there. And I said, this is it. This is what I wanted to do. <laughs> just nothing. Literally, nothing. what you said: replenish and recharge. Just have a moment. Look at nature. Look at the sky. We don't take the time to do that because we, I believe we don't realize the value in that because many times if it's too easy, it can't be good. It's got to be hard. Got to work at it. No, sometimes mm -hmm. just doing nothing is, is okay. If somebody is going through some challenges, some setbacks, and they want to work with you and, and just need some navigation there, how does it start? Um, well, take a look at my website which is www.drjoebaldwin.co.uk. Uh, and that's Dr. Joe, D-R-J-O. Um, my website has lots of information on my coaching programs and how you can work with me. And that's one of the simplest and easiest ways of just dipping your toe into the coaching waters, as it were, is just to do a, a, a two-session uh, program that I call the deep dive diagnosis mm. and it's just two sessions where we can dive into whatever's going on for you at the moment whatever challenge you're facing and work together on some strategies that might help you with that and then a second session that's a follow-up that sort of looks at how well have you been doing and perhaps what further support you might you might mean might need and mm. um, so I said that's a sort of a, a gentle toe in the water not too much of an investment in time or or financially um, but I say lots and lots of information on the website. If you want to get in touch directly, um, there's either a book a call button on the website and we can have a 30 minute chat. That's totally free, no obligation to continue to work with me. But it's a way of me assessing what's going on for you and a way of you checking me out. I always think it's, um, it's very important to check out a potential coach before you decide to work with them. Uh, and again, if you want to contact me directly, you can always email me joebaldwin.coaching at gmail.com. And I'd be it. happy to help. Yeah, there's no hard sell here. Um, and right to your point, Joe, it's a relationship. It's a personal relationship because you're going to learn about somebody and, and what their goals are and what their setbacks and challenges are. And I'm all about expectations. Set them in advance so the expectation can be Try two sessions, maybe try the first uh, consult without charge, then do two sessions. See where you're at with that. If it feels good, then, then move forward. You'll both know, you know, yeah. and not everybody's Absolutely. a great fit for everybody else. That's why, you know, it takes forever to find your perfect person, whatever it might be. Um, sure. Very refreshing talking with you today. And so important because setbacks, if you're not dealing with one now, guarantee you will be at some point and uh, how you deal with it makes all the difference. Thank you so much for being with us today. Not at all. Good to talk to you, Steve. You too, Joe. We'll be Cheers. right back. Bye now. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. 
It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.